Hey, okay, so it's time to start the STA, and now I'm recording it. So, good. All of what I just did still counts, but now it's being recorded. So Allison is going to walk us through the introductory stuff, and I'm going to move one seat away from her for her comfort and safety. Safety? <laughs> That's I don't know. terrifying. Here, why don't you flop that sucker behind your head? Um, okay. Okay, let's start out with... Um, yep. There we go. Yeah, okay. Just talking at your table groups, um, the first question we'll start out with, with is, is what stood out to you in your reading this month? And if you, and we can share together if it's a small Yeah, this is kind of smaller, so if people want to share. So, Nancy, you said the names, the names, the names, the names. You mean to expertly, precisely say the names? Yes, it was very interesting to see to hear that. You looked them all up. Wow. Oh, how to say them? You looked up how to say them? Yeah, that's more than I can say for me and Chip. That's fine. I can live with that. I was going to say, so Nancy just made the point for all the people listening that she used to teach reading by phonics and that names don't all fit the rules. I would also add to that that these are Semitic names and you probably taught American English I phonics. Did. <laughs> I did Not a lot of Arabic and Hebrew. Not that I was aware of. But, you know, this is my thing. Uh, the name Isaiah, I-S-A-I-A-H, Aya. So Chip pronounces those Ia. And I say Aya on all of them, and that was just one fun difference between you and I. So, yeah, okay, so the name stood out. What else stood out from the reading? So, would the, the women's and, and daughters' names would have been harder to announce or pronounce if they would have been in the Bible? The question from Jim. Great question, Jim. Thanks again for that disgusting snack you gave me. Um, the question from Jim is, were the women's names omitted because they were even more difficult to pronounce? And the answer, of course, is yes. No, of course not. I don't know. Actually, the women's names in the Bible are a lot easier. Hannah, Sarah, you know, like those are all pretty easy. What about the Boudier chart? What stood out to you, if those of you who looked at the Boudier chart? Hmm? We, we shared a picture of it at the beginning of the challenge on the Facebook page. Did anybody, did anything stick out to you about that? The bad's far. I think Eric's pointed this out too at some point during the reading is that you know, these guys, the ones that ended up being really bad, had good examples and had good leads to follow and they still messed it up. And that's a warning for us. Yeah, big time. Yeah. There were some at least. Uh, I, have, I haven't seen the chart, but if I remember correctly, there were some. Uh, I don't know that there were any good kings in the north. I think there were some good kings in the southern kingdom, and uh, I don't know if uh, the southern kingdom lasted longer. Um, it took them longer to be, you know, basically overthrown, taken over. So I don't know what that means or what that implies, but there were some good kings along the way that did make some changes uh, that I just maybe prolonged there, uh, which maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a message in there for us uh, somehow as well, but I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. There was such a, when I finished the list, looking at all of the bad kings, just one after another, after another, after another, after another, it just made me think. Bluetooth disconnected. Bluetooth. That's not what it made me think. <laughs> it made you think that the Bluetooth disconnected? Yeah, I know. These kings must be terrible. They're terrible. They're terrible. <laughs> it just, like, pointed out the patience of God because he, he let that, you know, he tried, he, you know, come on, get it together, <clears throat> sent them, you know prophets and everything and this went on and on and on and then a lot of times we just focus on um man that was tough what god did you know exiling mm -hmm. them and what they went through but then you read that you look at that list and all of those kings one after another after another just mm -hmm. going completely against what he asked 
And, and when you think about that our God is all-knowing, none of this was a surprise yeah. for him, yeah. and he signed on for it anyway. Mm. Yep, so true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That talk mm-hmm. tells me about the love of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we may not see those bad things in heaven. Yeah, I think there's a good chance we won't see a lot of them. But at least, so Nancy made the point that we won't see all the bad kings in heaven necessarily, but at least one of them we will. You know, Manasseh turned it around and repented. And I mean, you don't read it in Kings, but you see it in Chronicles. It's a big deal. When I think about Solomon, Hmm. he started out so wonderfully well. And then... Yeah. Oh, I don't know. We don't, I don't know. It's just good we don't have to decide who gets there. I am yeah, we'll just trust God with it. Yeah. Uh, well, we kind of covered what did you learn about God unless someone has something else they want to add in. What did you learn about yourself this month? Chips defer. You have a, anything to say? What we learned about ourselves? Well, we like to hear you say that things. God just is a in God general. Of detail. Oh, yeah. God is a God of detail? Yeah. Mm. And I can, I'm going to put that to me, too. Mm. That's my name. Mm-hmm. Amen. I think I learned that uh, even though we may not understand, God still wants us to listen. And Zephyr go, uh, yeah. I've heard these names. How does it, I don't understand all the names and why some of this has happened. But I think God wants us to put, invest in him our time is well and just be patient. I don't understand why God, but I'm going to listen and listen and somehow when he feels the need for me to understand, I will understand. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, giving our time to him mm-hmm. as he has done for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just think about some of the disciples and apostles. They didn't fully understand what he said and what he meant to say until way later. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. Patient and listen. Mm-hmm. What's this say about us? <laughs> Any questions? Any questions? I think it's a warning, though, also, because, I mean, unless we understand our desperate need for God, we, we can get trapped into those places where we think we know the right thing. Yeah. And well done. We, we just need to be people who, who walk by faith, and cautiously and wait for guiding. Mm-hmm. And so prayer needs to be a big, big part of our life. Yeah, absolutely. It also says that we're all as dumb as sheep and need a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. And talking about how bad they got, and it was a cultural thing, it's time to worship these other gods because of this main god, he's not good. It's today. Mm-hmm. The same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, not the same exact things, but it's the culture wants mm-hmm. to rule. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we know who's behind it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to Glenda's point, sometimes I'll say to God, okay, here's what I would like, here's what I think, but at the end of the day, I defer. Oh, wow. Wow, I got a it's nice. beverage. I, I defer to you because that's really what we need and want, whether we admit it or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any, any questions about last month's reading? Is that the next, mm-hmm. that's the next prompt, right? Mm-hmm. Any questions? How did you know I wanted this? It's a lie. Because your sweet wife told me to. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad. That at least calms my anxiety about why I have this beverage now. That's good. I don't want to. Jersey Mike's home. It's telling me about it. Why do you think the uh, Second Chronicles, the Northern Kingdom, was not mentioned? Right? I mean, I think I have an opinion, but I'm curious uh, why that. Was mm-hmm. why that is, 
maybe I'm wrong on that, but it wasn't mentioned very much. It mainly focused on yeah. David and Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why, why was the northern kingdom not mentioned in the book of Chronicles? So I think it goes down to the purpose of the book of Chronicles, which is um, a post-exilic book written to the people of Judah about what it is that they're rebuilding. Like we're laying the foundation to rebuild this thing. Ezra has been sent back to rebuild the religious structures, not physical structures, but the religious structures of this small kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. And so he's laying out, this is what we're rebuilding. So it, it would be extraneous or extra to, to put in Israel's stuff. It would just water it down. And, and that really speaks to how important all these names were. Because he omits all of that stuff about Israel and yet includes like 10,000 names in this book. Right. So apparently those were very important to what they were rebuilding. And they were because those were the qualifications of where we're sending people, what jobs they're going to have, what what the expectations are. So, yeah, they just didn't mention Israel, I think. And that's probably what you thought, too, because the purpose of the book is rebuilding Judah and not Israel. And at this point, they have been 200 years separated, you know, from 722 A.D. when uh, Assyria took Israel captive all the way down to 537 B.C. when uh, Judah returned from exile. So, yeah, that's that's what I would think. Probably just yeah. wasn't important to them. Rebuild that. Mm -hmm. I also thought maybe the author is thought to be Ezra. Yeah. Right. So the focus was clearly on the southern rebuilding. Yeah. Uh, so him being the author, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, the Ezra authorship's important too. Yeah. Good. Good question. I have one. Oh, Allison has a question. Would you like so, a microphone? Sure. Okay, so I know I've, I've looked into this before, and do you need more? Oh, no. Okay. I don't need <laughs> I've looked into this before, and I, I've never found, so I, but I've never asked you. So um, why, does, why does it say the first time through? <laughs> wait, wait, can I guess? Yes. It's about the census. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah go first, ahead now. Ask the, your question, because I know, yeah. The first one says, God told David to take a census. The mm -hmm. second one says Satan. Yeah. I've just never found an answer on that. Yeah, I struggle with that. Okay. That's a hard one for me. Um, I kind of consider it, so it also says early on when Saul was still king that God sent an evil spirit. Some, some mm -hmm. versions say God sent an evil spirit. And I think it's all about perspective of, no, God didn't send the evil spirit mm -hmm. the way we would think, but he just didn't prevent it. He allowed it. And so in that same sense, this is what I think. I mean, I don't know definitively. Um, in that same sense, God allowed Satan to tempt David with this and sent a guy who was so shady to tell him not to do it, right? He sends Joab to say, like, why are you doing this? And David goes ahead and does it anyway. In Kings, it's God. God allows that to happen. In Chronicles, when they're looking back at how they got where they're going, and now, okay, all right, we see now, and we don't want another king or governor or anyone else to get it in their head to go out and do this thing. You know, so now they recognize what it is yeah. fully. So I don't know why the difference, um, but I just, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I land on with that. It's tough. It's tough. And I just get this instinctive sort of inkling that that is coming from the fact that we read this with such Western eyes that we would okay, God said to do it, or Satan said to do it. It can't be that God allowed Satan to do it, right? You know, like, we just don't think that way. Hmm. That is a tough one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is a tough one. And I don't know why it happened either, but sometimes it's important to realize that in Scripture, it seems like, in this case, both things are true, mm -hmm. you know? And so we see that throughout other things in scripture as well, where like, you know, you have the Trinity. Yeah. You know, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it's hard for us, even the concept of the Holy Spirit, hard for us to fathom certain things, but there's, they're all true. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to know the reason behind it. I think it, the first know. one is the hardest for me. The first one of God told him to do it for them to turn around and punish them for it. That's when the one I, you know what I mean? I can see the Satan one, but the God one's hard. Yeah. yeah. I don't get that, so. But I, I see what you're, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's kind of cool, <clears throat> one good thing that comes from it, 
is so much of what's written in Chronicles seems to have just been copied line for line from Kings. But that difference, among other differences, shows that there was some other line of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. that it wasn't just, he's just copying verbatim line for line what yeah. was happening here, that there was an, an oral tradition or something, some other writing, you know, the book of the history of kings and, you know, yeah. like all that stuff, like those fed into this. <clears throat> and so it was multiple sources, which actually adds credibility to Second Chronicles and First and Second Chronicles. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, just one other thing with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. March homework? May, my April homework? The last month's homework. Okay. I feel like this, this is a stressful thing down here. It's wonderful. Well, I'm going to be honest with all of you. I forgot to bring my homework again. And it's on my phone, but my phone's recording this for all of our at-home visitors, so I don't have it. So we'll have someone read the question and then do some discussion on it. Is that okay? Can we live with that? Yeah. Good with that? Okay, so who would like to read our... Last month's question, April's. April, right? You got it right. You got me all confused now. Oh, Allison can read it. Yay. All right. <laughs> How does knowing that Kings was written during the exile and Chronicles was written after the exile affect your understanding of the similarities and differences between the Kings and Chronicles accounts? <laughs> Who's got an opinion on that? Steve does? <laughs> okay, Steve, let's hear it, man. Wow. Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, so part of it, just just some differences, I guess. Uh, you know, in Kings, you, you it's the Northern and the Southern Kingdom being discussed clearly. Um, the author is potentially Jeremiah and other prophets, so you've got this prophetic view of what's happening and. And it's kind of this path to destruction, right? And Chronicles is the opposite. It's kind of this rebuilding, path to rebuilding. So it's restoration. Uh, Obviously, Ezra is purported to be the author or potentially the author of of Chronicles. So as we talked about, the focus being the southern kingdom there. Um, Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, it was more, the, the, again, kind of the kings being more of a warning, more of this is what's happening, um, and uh, Chronicles being more of a positive, you know, restoration and mm-hmm. hope. And so, yeah. See, I, I responded to that one that was based on the needs of the audience. Mm. Mm-hmm. That you have one audience that needs to, that their question is, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have one audience who's saying, what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. And so we're seeing that variation mm-hmm. based on the targeted audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Both those are good. Uh, Laura. Uh, yeah. Going back to that question you guys, the one that Samuel, and he, got the, he did the, the census and then in Chronicle, um, my Bible it says that God caused David to sin. God does not cause people to sin, but he does allow sinners to reveal the sinfulness of their hearts by their action. God presented the opportunity to David in order to deal with a disastrous national tendency, and he wanted this desire to show itself. First Chronicles 21 says Satan incited David to do it. Hebrew, which I didn't know, Hebrew writers do not always distinguish between primary and secondary. Um, causes. So if God allowed Satan to tempt uh, David, to them it was as if God did it. So uh, they, they feel that yeah, anything that happens God allowed it. Well that's helpful. I pee. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Any other insight about Kings and Chronicles? I think that was a lot of good stuff. Uh, consider the audience is always important. Consider the situation, the historical context is always important. And then also their, his, their history is very important to, mm-hmm. to keep. Yeah. They, you know, whether it was oral and then putting it in mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why do you think Esther was included in the scriptures even though the book does not mention God by name? 
Sharon's got an answer for that? Wow. Sharon. No. <laughs> I said this is a fulfillment of the protection of the Jewish people as was promised to Abraham. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. And Very it's good. the origin of Purim. And it's the origin of Purim, this important festival. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just put that it shows how God is always working out his plan and rescuing his chosen even when we don't see him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's mm -hmm. good. And even though he wasn't mentioned, he is present from the very beginning all mm -hmm. the way through. Mm -hmm. From when you know the king reads, you know what, what was done, and I mean, just all the timing is. There's no other way than God yeah. being there. Yeah, mm -hmm. very true. It also pulls out that what you guys said the other day about. I think Chip said it on the podcast the other day about God does God acts, but we have to act. And I love that story of Esther. Like she had to act, and it was not necessary. That could have gone either way, you know, to go to the king and. Um, so just that just reminded me of what you said the other day about we have to do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, those are great answers. Mm -hmm. How has identifying the good and bad kings helped? We did, pretty much did this. Helped you understand? We already answered that question. Um, how do the? Okay, am I saying it right? The Abrahamic. Abrahamic. Thank you. Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants shaped the hopeful expectation of the Jews during the exile. That he, um, he, that he is their God mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. And they are his people, so he's always going to be there for them. Yeah. Even when he gets mad, when they break their covenant, he's still there for them. So no matter what happens, they know they have that their God is, is there fighting for them. Yeah, so he's their God, and he won't abandon them. So that's great. That's both the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. Yeah. It gives them hope in the promises of God who's faithful when they're not. Yeah, gives them hope in the promises of God who's faithful when they're not. Yeah. I think there's uh, also a lot of hope about the region, that the land that he had provided them, that mm -hmm. they were now out of that land, and they would yeah absolutely that they would return to the land because it was promised to them and yep be somebody from David's line would be on the throne yeah and that David's lineage would be on the throne that's right mm -hmm. okay anything else to add to that one those covenants really frame things out and it's important to keep those in mind when we're reading through the prophets as well because some of these prophets have narrative sections that take place during the exile. Daniel, that we started, Chip and I started, that hasn't aired yet, I don't think, but um, it's narrative. It's got a lot of narrative stuff in it, right? And Jeremiah had a lot of narrative stuff in it. Isaiah has some narrative stuff in it. So we're going to see a lot of narrative, and it's just important to remember as we're looking at these prophets, um, Ezekiel, you know, that these promises stand and that they can expect to have a Davidic king and that they can expect to be in the promised land because God said that that would happen. So, and they should have expected all of this judgment in exile because God promised that too. <coughs> okay, are we on to the... Yes. Okay. Very good. Can we... I did here. Pass this out? Well, oh, they're oh. all out except for... Oh. Sorry, smashing your microphone, Hannah, my bad. You don't mind? Okay, cool. All right, so this is a lot. This is heavy, but we're entering the biblical prophets, which is also a lot and also heavy. So we're going to be okay. All right, so let's okay. start. Yeah, we are going to be okay. Let's start filling in. I just want to say off the, in the very front, I have no idea why the Bible that Chip and I are going through, the Immersion Bible or whatever it is, why they do it in this order. I have no, no idea whatsoever why they do it in this order. But it goes Daniel, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah. So that is something. And there we go. So Allison will call. Allison, yeah, Allison said she's crafting a, um, what, how did you say it? A carefully, worded. carefully, but strongly, strongly worded, worded letter. Yeah. Better. Um, so she's on that. She's taking care of it. Don't feel like you have to. No, please Although don't. if you are interested in signing up for the class action lawsuit, Allison is also heading that up. So. Absolutely. Good job. You guys. What? 
I don't think everyone knew that you've been taking law classes at yeah. night just specifically for that. Because so you haven't told me. So yeah. I will. All right, so let's get into this, starting with some considerations for reading prophecy. Okay, so first of all, the prophet's role isn't primarily to speak the future. It's not all about the future. It's to speak God's message on God's behalf mm -hmm. to the people who lived in their time, in the prophet's time. The prophetic books are written collections of spoken oracles, O-R-A-C-L-E-S, oracles, not biographies of the prophets. Even though sometimes it does seem like they read that way, that's not the purpose. These are to tell you the oracles, very important. The prophets who don't appear in the 16 prophetic books were known more for their actions than their words. So think about Elijah and Elisha, right? We don't have a whole lot of prophecy, spoken prophecy, coming from Elijah and Elisha compared to Isaiah, who's got 66 chapters of it. But we see their actions, bringing people back to life, and the floating accent, and the widows, all the all the stuff with the oil and the flour. I mean, it's crazy. It's a lot of stuff. No, it wasn't crazy to her. I mean, it was crazy to her. She just liked it. It was good crazy. Yes. It was good crazy. Okay. Um, the prophets were covenant mediators. Covenant mediators who directly represented God. The need for covenant mediation explains why out of all the Old Testament history, the written prophets are only around for about 300 years. All of this takes place right in that sweet spot where they're on the cusp of exile and they need these prophets to come in and then they're in exile and then they return from exile. It starts late and it ends early. 300 years out of all that Old Testament history. No written prophets from Abraham. No written prophets from Noah. No written prophets from anything before this, this moving towards exile problem. So some prophets wrote before, during, and after the exile. That's number five. And it's important to know the time period of the prophet as they are read. So if you're reading Zechariah and Haggai, and you're like, oh, they're going to rebuild the temple before they get exiled. Well, you're reading in the wrong time period. That's all after the exile. So it's important to know the time period to understand what's going on. Okay, difficulties in reading prophecy. Not all the prophetical books are written in chronological order. This is super frustrating because <laughs> you're like, wait, how is this happening when that last thing happened? Mm -hmm. I don't get it. Why is that? That's a great question. Okay. Thanks Moving for on. asking. <laughs> 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 it's because that's the way the people that lay down the, what we have now is the Bible. Yeah, I mean, ultimately that is why it's what they decided, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they're not in order. It could be something cultural. It could be something historical. I, I just don't know. Could have been they were sleepy or hungry or something. Yeah. Just, sleepy, hungry. Uh, hungry. Yeah. Actually, I think the prophets were all sleepy and hungry. I yeah. <laughs> and laying on their side for a year and walking around naked for three years oh, and marrying prostitutes and getting sawed in half. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So this frequently makes it difficult to understand what's happening historically when certain oracles are given. Okay, number two, the chapter-verse divisions that were added to the Bible later, these weren't original. It wasn't like the prophets were writing, and they're like, okay, this one's going to be chapter 65. They don't always correspond with the beginning and ending of the prophet's thoughts. So sometimes a thought will carry over from one chapter into the next one, and that chapter division can be very, very distracting for us. Now, this won't be a problem in this Bible, presumably the one that Chip and I are reading, because we don't have any chapters or verses. We just read words. It's written like a novel. So we won't really necessarily know that. I mean, we obviously still divide the day, but still. Okay, most prophetic oracles were spoken in poetry, which makes them difficult for modern audiences to understand. Not just because poetry is hard to understand, but because we're talking about ancient Near Eastern poetry, which is totally different than what we have today. So it's very difficult. Number four, some of what the prophets predicted 
has come to pass, while some is still yet to come. And this is also sort of frustrating because, as Allison and I were talking about it the other day, and actually Hannah has been reading through the prophets too on her own, we've talked about how some of the, the stuff that's already happened and the stuff that's yet to come is spoken of seamlessly. Yes. You know, to, from our perspective, from the prophet's perspective, all of it was yet to come. But some of it has been fulfilled and some of it has not, and they kind of ebb and flow seamlessly through it. And so it's hard for us to really determine, okay, which of these things has happened and which one's yet to come? You know, talking about the rebuilding of the temple. Sometimes they're predicting that the temple will be rebuilt. Sometimes they're predicting that the temple will be rebuilt after the destruction of the temple that happened in 70 AD. So in our time that the, the temple will be rebuilt. It can be really difficult and frustrating, and that's okay. It's just about understanding the historical context. Let me give you another piece on the next page about reading prophecy. This is initial and ultimate or double fulfillment. This is super important to understanding what's happening when you read prophecy. Sometimes a biblical prophecy will have both a short-term and a long-term fulfillment. And what such is instance of this is in Isaiah 7, very famous passage. So I'm going to just read this, this passage to you real quickly and then kind of unpack what the initial and ultimate fulfillment means. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. So... <clears throat> What Isaiah is talking about here um, is a sign that, that God will defeat these armies of these other nations. Okay? <clears throat> Who do we think of when we read this? <laughs> Jesus. Is it possible that Jesus was the sign to King Ahaz that God would defeat these kingdoms? No. <laughs> it's not, right? Because that's going to happen hundreds of years later. So what we have to infer, what we have to understand about this text is God is going to give a sign to King Ahaz that meets all of what's said in this. Now, that is very difficult because it says a virgin's going to give birth. How many times in history has that happened? One. But the Hebrew word for virgin also means young woman. So as you read this, you can know we think of Jesus as a, a man born of a virgin and known as God with us. His name was not Emmanuel. His name was Jesus. But he is God with us, right? So we see the initial fulfillment here is that a young woman gives birth to a child and names him literally Emmanuel. That's the sign to Ahaz that God will conquer these foreign armies. Later, Matthew will appropriate this message and make us, help us to understand that there's a secondary fulfillment. That an actual virgin gave birth to a boy and not, he wasn't named God with us, but he is God with us. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So these kinds of fulfillments happen frequently throughout the prophetical writings. And interestingly, there are some ultimate fulfillments that we haven't seen yet. So they're written, there's an initial fulfillment, and then you'll read like in the book of Revelation that there's an ultimate fulfillment that we haven't seen yet. So prophecy, from the view of the prophet, he might say, okay, I've seen the young woman give birth to the son named Emmanuel, and he may not even realize, there's debate among scholars, he may not even realize that there's another fulfillment out there. So this is very interesting, and it's super important for us to understand in order to get what's happening when we read prophecy. Okay, any questions on that? Yeah, what are the two blank spaces? Again? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, short-term, long-term at the top, and then Matthew 1, 22, and 23. Sorry about that. To describe the birth of? Jesus. Jesus! Hey. Hey, your wife is awesome. Read that. My wife's awesome? Mm -hmm. Am I supposed to read this out loud? Yeah. Am I supposed to read this out loud? Yes, you need to. 
It answers several questions that you've... But we've okay, here comes a message from Hannah, who is objectively awesome. Immerse Prophets, this is the Bible that we're reading, is the fourth of six volumes of the Immerse Bible Reading Experience Program. Prophets represents the first Testament prophets in groupings that represent four historical periods, beginning with the prophets who spoke before the fall of Israel's northern kingdom, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah, then before the fall of the southern kingdom, Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk, around the time of Jerusalem's destruction, Jeremiah, Obadiah, Ezekiel, and after the return from exile, Haggai, Zechariah, Joel, and Malachi. That's great. So that's why it does it that way. The thing that throws me off is that Daniel's first, and, not, and notably not in that list. Is he in prophets now? No. He's in Chronicles. Hannah's going to keep getting that. She'll find it. But that is great. It that does help. Shows, that helps a lot. You said it's significant. We, we have to know when they spoke. So this will yeah. take us through Absolutely. in the right. Yep. That's good. We'll read it in yeah. the order. That Very I'm good. Going. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah, and Hannah. Allison. Good. Allison, Hannah. thank you for texting during class. That was good, Allison. Good job. <laughs> Hannah started it. <laughs> wow. She said Hannah started it. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Hey, let's move into some book overviews. we got to kind of... Hit this pretty hard. I have a really cool prophecy I want to walk you guys through. So we're going to do this quick. Daniel. The book of Daniel begins in 605 BC when the first wave of exiles were taken away to Babylon. Okay, that number is important. 605 is important. The Bible tells us that the Babylonian captivity will be 70 years. Mm -hmm. So when we read that they started returning in 537... It's super important to realize that 70 years is not 586 to 537. That's not long enough. So the first wave is happening in 607 all the way down to 637. Daniel takes place, takes place after the first few have been exiled in 605. So the initial exile of Judah happened in 607. That's when they started taking people. From there, the 70-year clock begins all the way until 537, when, they get, when the initial wave gets sent back to Jerusalem. So that is important. Don't worry about it today, though. I didn't put it on paper. Daniel spends the entirety of his book refusing to cave to the social and political pressures of Babylon. Daniel's testimony to the greatness of God is crucial because to the world it appeared that Yahweh had just been defeated by the gods of Babylon. The author of the book is Daniel, one of the major prophets. Okay. So why is he called a major prophet? Is it because he's super important compared to the minor prophets? Because he wrote it long. Because it's long. Good. And actually, so we've got the long prophets, Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Those are the major prophets. And then we've got the 12 minor prophets that actually in the Hebrew scriptures were included in what was called the book of the 12. And so they were all together. And the interesting thing about the book of the 12 is that it's longer than Daniel and Ezekiel, but shorter than Isaiah and Jeremiah. So it's right in the middle, you know? So they're not minor in that sense of being less important. They're minor in that some of them are like a page long or they're pretty short. Hannah, did you have an answer on Daniel? You kinda... That's what I, I oh. was just... It's, it's... All right, we'll talk about it later. It's okay. It's, it's fine. It's fun. It's good. It's great. It's because it's historically a narrative. It yeah. yeah. It's just weird that it doesn't mention it, Daniel, in what you sent me just now. He probably falls into that last couple which the last couple sentences was the nation of Israel commissioned to be God's light to the nations falls to division and then foreign conquest for rejecting God's rule. That would make sense. With, like, yeah, just chronologically, it would have been after Chronicles instead of after Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Daniel. Anyway, yeah, right? Because now we're resetting back. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The ongoing theme of Daniel, theme, is that Yahweh is superior to the false gods of the Babylonians. Daniel was most likely written around 540 to 530 BC. To 530. The audience of Daniel was the Jewish people in exile in Babylon. Say that again. The audience of Daniel was the Jewish people in exile in Babylon. 
Okay, we good on Daniel? That's just a quick overview. There's lots of stuff that happens in there that we're going to unpack. Probably by reading it. Okay. Amos. Before the Assyrian exile, King Jeroboam II led the northern kingdom, Israel, to a time of economic prosperity in which the Israelites experienced lavish comfort and wealth. Due to the wealth in the land, the socioeconomic discrepancies between the upper and lower classes of Israel were vast, and social injustices took place on a large scale, in, clear of, in a clear violation of the covenant. All of this, coupled with the continued sin of idolatry, marked the backbone of the prophetic ministry of Amos. So you had a lot, a lot, a lot of wealth. King Jeroboam II led the northern kingdom, and I think Joash was the king in the southern kingdom at this time, and they were wealthier and had borders lar as large as when Solomon was king. So they were, they were second only to that, I guess I should say. Wealth and borders second only to when Solomon was king. And with that, they started getting rich and treating people terribly if they weren't rich. And so you saw all these like horrible social injustices happening. And God says, this is just as bad as all the idolatry. And it's going to lead to the same thing. Now, interestingly, the author of the book is Amos. Yes, one of the minor prophets. And a shepherd from the southern kingdom so this guy is from the southern kingdom and yet his prophetic ministry takes place in the northern kingdom so the author of the book is amos one of the minor prophets in a shepherd from the southern kingdom the ongoing theme of amos is the warning of impending destruction due to a vast number of sins. Amos was most likely written around 760 to 753 BC, just decades before the Assyrian exile. The audience of Amos was Israel and the surrounding nations. Okay, and flip the page. Talk about Hosea. Poor Hosea. <clears throat> the book of Hosea initially follows a narrative pattern telling the heart-wrenching story of Hosea's marriage to a constantly unfaithful woman, Gomer. The marriage of Hosea and Gomer is meant to depict the unfaithfulness of Israel toward God. This story mirrors the intention of God. He formed a covenant with Israel, as Hosea did with Gomer. He suffered infidelity from Israel, as Hosea did with Gomer. For a time, he will separate Israel from himself, as Hosea did with Gomer. However, eventually, he will seek out and restore Israel to himself, as Hosea did with Gomer. The author of the book is Hosea, one of the minor prophets. And one of them is named on this very page. <laughs> a prophet who prophesied for 60 years until only a few years before the conquest of Israel, of Israel by Assyria. The ongoing themes of Hosea, it says is, but it should say are. I do speak English. And Nancy, you can help me. Thank you. Yep. Israel's infidelity and God's unfailing love. Israel's infidelity and God's unfailing love. Hosea, I'll slow down for a sec. Hosea was most likely written around 755 to 725 BC. Only a short time before Israel would fall to Assyria. The audience of Hosea was the unfaithful nation of Israel.
Okay, Micah. That's the minor prophet we were just hearing speaking in the other room. He's being good. Oh, good. Giving a good message. I'm glad. Micah is a book that announces both the judgment and restoration of both kingdoms. It is, Micah is a confusing book. You'll see when we read it. He's just going back and forth. It is sometimes confusing as the messages may seem to contradict each other. The reality is that there is no restoration until there is judgment. Micah also gives the promise of a future king from Bethlehem whose origins are ancient. It was this prophecy that led the wise men from the east to look for Jesus there. The author of the book is Micah, one of the minor prophets whose prophecies concern both Jerusalem and Samaria. The ongoing themes of Micah are judgment and restoration. Micah was most likely written around 735 to 700 BC. The audience of Micah was the rulers, priests, and prophets of Israel who were exploiting people, leading them toward judgment. Rulers, priests, and prophets. Okay, one last book here, book of Isaiah. While Isaiah does not absolutely... Well, Isaiah does absolutely, there it is. I was like, that seems like a dumb thing to say. While Isaiah does absolutely interact with his historical context, prophesying in times of both national revival and national rejection, some of the most important prophecies concerning the Messiah are recorded in this book. Many of these prophecies about the Messiah have already been fulfilled by Jesus, and many are still to come. The difficulty in reading these oracles is differentiating between what has been accomplished and what has not. While this, sometime, while this is sometimes difficult and complicated, it is also completely possible. So the author of this book is Isaiah, son of Amos, A-M-O-Z. One of the major prophets who had a long ministry in Judah. The ongoing themes of Isaiah are judgment and deliverance. Especially through the Messiah. Isaiah's recordings, writings are recorded over a long period of time from 739 to 681 B.C. Isaiah's audience is a long span of kings as well as the people of Judah concerning the Messiah. Okay. I want to give you one last thing here. Super important. Kind of fun. Really neat. Probably the coolest Bible prophecy there is. Daniel's 70 weeks. So I've got the scriptures here that support it. And then if you turn the page, there's a picture. Look at that. doesn't get better than pictures, does it? Okay, so let me just talk real quickly about this, about this prophecy. So Daniel has this prophetic vision. An angel comes to him in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And he gives this description um, that we're about to read. And then what we have to do is take that and apply some other facts that we know given the biblical account, and that will all translate into this chart that I've drawn on the other side. So, real quick. A period of 70 sets of seven, okay? 70 sets of seven, not 70 sets of seven days, 70 sets of seven years. 
A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion. This is the angel talking to Daniel. To put an end to their sin, to atone for the guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from, and this is in blue for a reason, the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until, so 69 weeks, until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. I should say 69 sets. Oh no, 762, 62, okay, got it, sorry. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. So... The time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. We find that in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, in the, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. You know the story. He goes on, and he asks to be allowed to go back. So he asks to be allowed to go back to rebuild the wall. So if it's the first of the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, we know from history that that would be March 14th, 445 BC by our calendar. And then, so there's 62 sets of seven and seven, seven sets, then 62 sets of seven from that moment, March 14th, 445, until the anointed one arrives and is cut off. And we know this from Luke 3, 1, that Jesus' ministry begins in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and his ministry was three years long. So that's AD 32. Because of the proximity to the annual Passover festival, we can actually calculate the dates around that using the lunar calendar. And so the date is April 6th, 32 AD. Now, if you turn the page and look at this chart. So the order to rebuild was on March 14th, 445. So that is seven weeks, so seven years, plus 62 weeks, so 69 weeks, times seven. And then you, that is 483 years. Now you multiply that by 360 because the Jewish calendar did not have a 365-day year. It had a 360-day year. So that ends with 173,880 days. If you track from March 14th, 445 BC to April 6th, 32 AD, it is exactly... 173,880 days that the anointed one would arrive to the day. So then he's cut off, appearing to have accomplished nothing, right? Meaning what? The crucifixion, right? So we have his arrival and his crucifixion happening on that exact day. Now, we're going to talk about the rest of this stuff a little bit later when we get to Revelation. Um, but that last week is separated from Daniel's weeks by what we call the church age. So Jesus was cut off, appearing to have accomplished nothing. But what's not included in Daniel's 70 weeks is that he also would come back to life, accomplishing everything. Right. And so we put a pause on Daniel's 70 weeks until an evil man comes and makes a treaty with the people. And we know that to be the Antichrist. And when you read the book of Revelation, the first of the seals that's popped off in the judgment as God unle unleashes his judgment is the release of the Antichrist. And so we know that he will make a deal with the people of Israel and set up, allow them to sacrifice and all that stuff until halfway through mm -hmm. in which we see the abomination of desecration. And that takes, that takes place halfway through. Jesus affirms this in Matthew 24. So we will talk about all of that stuff as we get to Revelation. But this is the key. If Daniel, if his vision from this angel was that accurate to the day, we know full and well, even though it's been 2,000 years mm -hmm. since Jesus ascended, that this will be accurate to the day during the tribulation period as well. Um, so 
This is my favorite prophecy in the Bible. This is crazy. Like, this is insane. Uh, Jewish people won't read it. They won't read Daniel chapter 9. They think that it's a cursed text. They won't read it. Um, so that just speaks to, again, the spiritual blindness that the Bible tells us that the people of, of Israel have today. Um, and, you know, that same blindness that really broke Paul's heart about that. So, yes, it takes a little bit of digging to get to it. And it takes something visual, I think, when you read it. It's kind of hard. Um, but all of this stands to uh, go toward what the, the angel says will happen. And so just real, real quickly, by the end of these 70 weeks, the 69 that led up to the anointed one arriving and being cut off, and then the seven at the end of, at the end of time when God's judgment is poured out, um, Israel will, Jerusalem will finish their rebellion, put an end to their sin, atone for guilt, bring in everlasting righteousness, confirm the prophetic vision, and anoint the most holy place. So some of those things are not possible today. It is impossible to anoint the most holy place. Why? There's no temple, right? So some of this presumes the rebuilding of the temple. It, it presumed that in Daniel as well. There was no temple when Daniel was writing this. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. So he was prophesying that the temple would be rebuilt. And then in AD 70, the temple is destroyed again without anointing the most holy place. So what do we know about the temple then? It has to be rebuilt again. We have to have a third temple in order for this to take place. And so that's one of those things historically that we can look at as things are being assembled to create this new temple. We know that the time is coming that these things can happen. So, yes, Nancy. Yeah, yeah, we yeah we were talking about that the other day, that things are happening. Yeah, so the rebuilding of the temple is on its way. Now, the rebuilding of the temple doesn't mean that the rapture is imminent, but it does mean that we have everything in order for these things to have been accomplished so that we can enter into that time of tribulation so that, more importantly, we can enter into the millennial kingdom and then the full eternal reign of Jesus, which is going to be amazing. And all of that, we get all of that from Daniel and this prophetic vision that knew to the day when Jesus was going to show up in Jerusalem. I just think it's incredible. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I think that's all I had for the lesson. And then just to look at the guided reading. I put June's guided reading. I didn't know if that was right or not. But whatever. That's what we're doing. It is going to be in June, I guess. So let me just walk through these real quick. Is that all right? Okay. Uh, these are the questions I want you to keep in mind as you're listening or as you're reading on your own or whatever. Um, why do you think biblical prophecy is so important, both to the original audience and to us? Why? So why did God speak to these people? What was the importance of that? And then why should Christians read this? What does the idea of biblical prophecy tell us about God? In other words, what does it mean to us that God can and does communicate with us in this way? Then compare and contrast the setting of the prophets to our setting today. Nancy, you kind of started doing that even today. So in other words, how is our world similar and how is it different? I'll give you a clue. Uh, Jesus coming is a huge part of that. So make sure you pay, pay attention to that. And then, of course, this is something that you should do every day with your Bible reading. But just as part of your guided reading, what can you do today to apply the message of the prophets in your own life? And that is a huge part of Allison's ministry of picking out these takeaways and, and stuff from scripture. So yeah, keep this in mind as you read. And uh, I think it's going to be a pretty cool month. Maybe challenging these next few months, but it's going to be good. It's going to be worth it. Um, yeah. So that's it. Is that okay? No. Well, I need to do my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. For, yeah. For that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, your thing. You said you were going to freestyle rap. Yeah. I, yeah. You did. You said that. You said you've been working on it all. W-R-A-P. No, it's not going to be anything that cool. But, so, I'm the... Way cooler. I'm the <laughs> so, I was telling Eric, you know, my little part here at the end is usually to um, encourage people to read, stay with their reading, that sort of thing. But, I, as I was telling him, I, I kind of... And preaching to the choir on that because you guys are all obviously reading and, and, and studying and very committed. So I kind of look at you as um, 
I, I'm a choir person, that's what my degree's in, so you know choirs have section leaders, right? And it's a super important job to be a section leader. Your job is to make sure that your section knows their music and is, is doing their, what they're supposed to do and maybe works with them outside of the choir time. And that's kind of how I view you guys because you're, you're very committed to, to your Bible time. But I also, it's so important to be committed to helping others with theirs. Hmm. And one of the stories that popped into my head when I was thinking about what I wanted to tell you today was what the person who got me onto reading. And it was back when I was uh, leading BSF Bible study and um, there was a, a girl in there and she was so excited to read the Bible. She was, she literally would just light up anytime she would talk about her Bible reading time. And it, I want to say it was maybe May, April or May. And she had already been through it four times that year. Hmm. She, she said, I get lost, I get caught up in it, and I don't even realize how long I've been reading. I catch something new all the time. I love it. And her face was just so lit up by talking about, and I was, I was it was contagious. Mm. It just, it made me want to do it. I have never looked at the Bible in that way before. I always looked at it as almost like a, like a chore, right? Something I was supposed to do as a Christian. But listening to her talk and watching her face light up as she talked about how she loved the stories and just couldn't get enough of it, it, it impacted me so much. So it made me think, how do we um, put out how we feel about our Bible reading? Does that make sense? How do we portray that to people? Oftentimes when I'm trying to get people to read, I might say, oh, you know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to find the time, but I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be looking at it like that. I should be looking at it like, you know, this is going to change your life. This is wonderful. Yeah. This is great. Do it. Not, I know, I know, finding the time. I know it's hard to understand. And the thing is, is we're getting into the prophets. Prophets are hard. This is the hardest part for me, I know. And people tend to kind of start to slack off during the prophets because, you know, we're right on, uh, just let's get to New Testament. Let's get to Jesus. But there's quite a gap for where we are to there. I mean, what is it, October? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is when it's our job to really be encouraging to people and positive about what we're reading, right? And just have a positive attitude. And then it, I was looking, because I like Tim Keller and the stuff that he writes, and he had a quote that said, um, <clears throat> it says, religious people find God useful, growing Christians find God beautiful. And I just... I would just challenge you to portray that attitude to people when you talk about your Bible reading, you're, you're, that you're committed to it, that you see it in a beautiful way, that it's, it's something that you love. Mm -hmm. And who can you invite? Who can you keep on? Who can you keep praying for to do it? Um, especially with New Testament. We have New Testament in a few months. Um, that's a great place to hop on, especially for new readers. So be thinking, be praying, who, who could I get who can I go to and say, you know what, I've been doing this and I really love it and, and I, I just think you'll love it too. Also, I put presented a new challenge. I don't know if you guys saw that, but the new challenge that I want is um, people are really good about checking in on Facebook every day and saying that they've, they're done, they're finished, but I'm, I want it to go a step. I'm pushing you a little more now. I want you to tell, I want you to try when you're listening, see if you can kind of guess where Chip and Eric will go. With their takeaway. With the takeaways. Uh-huh. It's hard to project where we're going to go. Yeah, it really. <laughs> but it's a fun little game to play when you're listening to see if you can pick out what they're going to pull from it. Hmm. What's cool about it is when you don't, you go somewhere different. Yeah. And then I want you to let us know, did you go where they went or did you, what did you do? What did you come from with it? Because it's so neat to see how God speaks to us all in different ways in the exact same text, Right. Um, so instead of, if you feel comfortable, make yourself feel comfortable. Instead of writing done or finished or check mark, put it in there. If you, if you don't do anything more than, you know, I actually went a different direction. And, you, you know, share as much as you feel. But the beauty of that is people are reading that and they're seeing how it's speaking to everybody. And it's, and it's touching people. It's changing people's lives. So I really want to encourage you to take it a step further. That's where we are now, I think. And um, that's, that's all I've got. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Good job, Thank you. Cool. Good job. Well, I guess that's it. That's it. That's it, Chip. Will you pray? Yeah. 
God, thank you for this great day, wonderful day. Uh, thank you that your word has been proclaimed and declared, and we pray that we will continue to live by it and, Lord, be able to share it and that we would continue to stay on the path of reading and applying your word to our life and that you would also use us to share that, uh, like Allison mentioned, to others that you put in our path that would also motivate and move them to do the same thing. And thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Lord, thank you for your truth. You are faithful, even though we are faithless, and we're grateful, Lord, for your love, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And may that be a motivating factor every day for us to live for you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank <laughs> you.